My topic today is accomplishment in diligence. And I will begin with the sutta from the Magha Samyutta. This is the forerunner, the precursor of the rising of the sun that is the dawn. So too, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the noble eightfold path. That is accomplishment in diligence. When one is accomplished in diligence, it is to be expected that one will develop and cultivate this noble eightfold path. And how does one who is accomplished in diligence develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path? Here, one develops right view, which is based upon seclusion, dispassion, and cessation, maturing in release. One develops right thought, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, which is based upon seclusion, dispassion, and cessation maturing in release. It is in this way that one who is accomplished in diligence develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. The Pali term for accomplishment in diligence is apamada sampada, and both bhikkhus, bodhi, and sujato translate this as diligence. But I've also seen apamada translated as vigilance, earnestness, heedfulness, zeal, carefulness, conscientiousness, and seriousness of practice. Are you serious about your practice? I don't mean grim seriousness. I mean deeply conscientious, seriously engaging in your practice. In the Salayatana Samyutta, diligence is described as living with sense restraint. Sense restraint protects the mind and keeps us from dwelling into defilement. A mind that is not dwelling in defilement is described as one that experiences joy, exaltation, and tranquility. This is the pattern. This is the expression of a serious practice seriously experiencing the conditions that lead to joy, exaltation, and tranquility. With diligence, we apply our energy to develop mindfulness throughout the day. We're not only practicing mindfulness in the meditation hall and then allow the defilements to run rampant through the rest of the day. We develop diligence through a continuity of mindfulness, a pervasive observation of the states that we entertain moment by moment in our minds. Defilements can arise at any time, not only when we are sitting here quietly. Continuity of mindfulness is essential. It's needed to abandon the hindrances and to develop a depth of both samadhi and vipassana. Diligence is essential for our development, and yet negligence seems to creep in a lot more often than most of us might want to admit. This is a very comfortable meditation center. How do you use that comfort? Does the comfort inspire gratitude that supports your diligence? Or does it increase desire 
that gives negligence the opportunity to overtake the mind. When you go into your room and nobody's there to see you, what is the quality of your mindfulness? Does it diminish in your room? In the Anguttara Nikaya, um, it says, No other thing do I know, O monks, which is so responsible for causing unarisen, unwholesome states to arise and arisen, wholesome states to wane as negligence. In one who is negligent, unarisen, unwholesome states will arise and arisen, wholesome states will wane. No other thing do I know, O monks, which is so responsible for causing unarisen, wholesome states to arise and arisen, unwholesome states to wane as diligence. In one who is diligent, wholesome states not yet arisen will arise and unwholesome states that have arisen will wane. Diligence is powerful. And I don't think we need to think of it as being difficult to practice or apply. It's not a kind of hard labor or an exhausting endeavor. Diligence is a way of protecting our minds from suffering and keeping our lives directed toward what we most value and deeply seek. It's a gift that we give ourselves, and it supports a wise response to whatever the conditions are that are occurring. In the Middle Link Discourses, in a sutta called Inference, it says, Friends, when a bhikkhu reviews himself thus, if he sees that these evil, unwholesome states are not all abandoned in himself, then he should make an effort to abandon them all. But if he reviews himself thus, and he sees that they are all abandoned in himself, then he can abide happy and glad, training day and night in wholesome states. And then it uses a simile, an illustration that says, just as a woman young who's youthful and fond of ornaments, upon viewing her image in a clear, bright mirror or in a basin of clear water, might see a smudge or a blemish on her face. She makes an effort to remove it. But if she sees no smudge or blemish on it, she becomes glad thus. It is a gain for me that it is clean. So too, when a bhikkhu reviews himself thus... And it goes through the same thing. He can abide happy and glad, training day and night in wholesome states. And I love this image. It's of a smudge of dirt. It's not a difficult task to remove it. It's just a smudge. It's just a blemish on the mind. It doesn't have to be the most demanding project on earth that needs lots of you know, cranes and bulldozers to get those defilements to move. It's not an impossible task for people like us to attain. It's not something that requires more strength and more commitment than we can possibly muster up. We can remove the blemishes and the defilements from our minds. Just seeing those defilements as being like smudges of dirt, blemishes on the mind. We take our little washcloth of mindfulness, we sprinkle it with Scent-free detergent, of course. And then we just wipe it away. We wipe it away. We wash it away. We cleanse our mind of defilements. And then we polish it a little bit with wholesome states such as samadhi and wisdom and discernment and the Brahma-viharas, the cultivation of wholesome states. 
it doesn't need to be such a big deal, right? We wash our face every day, probably. We look in the mirror a few times, and if we see the dirt, we wipe it away. Can we look at our minds regularly, like looking in a mirror, and just wipe the dirt away, wipe the dirt away, wipe the dirt away? Then whatever insights, whatever wholesome states we've developed in our meditation practice, then we continue to nurture those wholesome states. We train day and night in wholesome states. We've developed them through the good conditions and and the, the supportive conditions here, and then we learned to apply them in the more complex conditions of our daily lives after we depart from the retreat. We develop diligence in maintaining wholesome states. There's a discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya that lists a whole lot of really good things that we develop in practice, attainments, attainments in humility, attainments in our conduct and good behavior, and many systematic attainments of samadhi and of concentration that include all the jhanas. And so it describes all these really important good things that we cultivate and develop in meditation. But then there's a caution, because at a later time, it describes this monk who attained that attainment, you know, whatever it might be, virtue, or it might be concentration, or it might be the fourth jhana, or this or that. Um, They get excessively engaged and attached to worldly matters. And then their behavior changes for the worse and their attainments fall away. So it's an interesting uh, discourse in which the Buddha describes genuine attainments, but then conditions change. And the conditions that change are primarily the internal attachment, the lack of diligence in maintaining those wholesome states that leads to an attachment to unwholesome states. And then there's these beautiful similes that, um, that are included. I'm, I'm just, it goes on like two or three pages of similes, so I'm only going to share a few with you. Um, it's like seeing a calm lake, but knowing that at another time, the wind might whip up waves and ripples on the lake. Sometimes our minds are calm, yes, but we shouldn't be negligent and think, ah, never again will I experience a no, you have to be vigilant. We can see a pond, but it's in a rainstorm, and the rain has stirred up all the waters such that the pebbles on the bottom have disappeared from sight. But as conditions change at another time, those pebbles may become visible again. Sometimes we look at the mind and, you know, we don't, we don't, see defilements, you know, it's like we don't see our stuff, our stories, whatever. But there can be another time later on when those things can re-arise and become, uh, uh, re-arise and become visible again. After finishing a delicious meal, there might be leftovers, and yet there is no desire to consume them. Have you ever had that experience? But we don't think, I will never again have desire for food, because at another time, hunger and desire 
may re-arise. And then the last image I want to share with you is of a, the king and his army, full with a full complement of soldiers and chariots and elephants and horses and trumpets and drums, you know, the whole thing, marches into a forest. And when that happens, the sound of the crickets disappear. Yet one should not think that the sound of crickets has disappeared forever at another time. As conditions change, the sound of crickets might reappear. We have very precious conditions in retreat. And yet all conditions are temporary. They are always changing. We might have refined meditative experiences. Great. We can enjoy them, but we cannot hold on to them or make them last forever. But the fact that conditions and experiences in meditation are temporary does not imply that they are unimportant or insignificant. We can use the refined conditions for diligent, serious practice, and yet remember that conditions are subject to change. We need diligence not only to fully engage in the retreat here. We need diligence to bring our wholesome qualities and insights to bear on how we live our lives after the retreat. Here we practice not only with the sitting meditation, but we also practice with simple chores, with basic exercise, and even simple speech in the context of the interview with the teachers. These are not distractions to your meditation. They're important opportunities for applying mindfulness beyond the silent sitting posture. At home, we have to negotiate many complex responsibilities and relationships that really do require our diligent attention. The complexity of daily life is not bad. It's not wrong. I'm not recommending that you avoid it and move in here permanently. But we do need diligence, both here and at home. We need diligence to cultivate tranquility and insight. We need diligence to recognize and overcome our obstacles. We need diligence to cultivate and then maintain wholesome states. We need diligence to live fully, kindly, and wisely in this world. And I'll end with a verse from the Bojanga Samyutta. Whatever states there are that are wholesome, partaking of the wholesome, pertaining to the wholesome, they are all rooted in diligence. Converge upon diligence, and diligence is reckoned to be chief among them. Enjoy your diligent practice today.